podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Chalk Talk Podcast. I am Andy Mitz. I'm joined today by David Potter. We are going to talk a little bit about the NBA. In fact, that's our theme for the entire episode with the NBA draft uh, that just came a couple days ago. We have plenty to talk about there. We had planned on trying to do this either prior to the draft or the night of the draft. The scheduling conflict kind of prevented that from happening. So, But let's go ahead and jump right in. David, uh, let's, let's talk first, obviously, about the biggest story of the night, that uh, Josh Jackson was not picked by the Celtics at number three, and there was a lot of kind of drama going along there with his canceled uh, workouts there. Instead, he went to the Phoenix Suns at number four. I know there was a lot of concern that he might fall all the way to five and go out to Sacramento. Um, but what did you what did you think about where Jackson got picked, and kind of what are your thoughts about how he's going to fit in with his new team? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good fit for him. Um, you know, Phoenix they they've had a few small forwards kind of battling for the starting spot I, on last year's roster. They had T.J. Warren and T.J. Tucker and Jared Dudley, and T.J. Warren has kind of he's a I think it was his third year at NC State, kind of took over that role and, and, and didn't do too badly. Um, so there's, uh, I think, some debate as to whether Warren's going to stick with that starting job until Jackson kind of proves himself or if Jackson will get it right out of the gate. But he's not going into a situation where there's someone who's you know, clearly going to be head and shoulders above him where he's going to have to um, you know, sit back and kind of wait to earn his playing time, which I think is probably what he's looking for. Uh, you mentioned the, the drama with you know him originally, you know, not even working out with the Celtics until a couple days before the draft, and then they had one scheduled and he canceled it kind of at the last minute. Um, Phoenix's GM was asked about that, and he. Uh, you know, kind of gave a coy answer and, and, and said that, you know, he he can't say for sure whether Phoenix had anything to do with uh, Jackson canceling that workout, but he, he can't say that they didn't, which kind of leads me to believe that maybe after talking to Phoenix, they told him um, it, it was probably the same kind of pitch that, you know, David Beatty gives to uh, guys he's trying to recruit to Kansas football and, and saying, you know, your first couple of years here, you're probably not going to win a whole lot of games, but we're we're building something. You can come in, play right away, get immediate playing time, um, and, and get that immediate exposure. And, and that that I think that's probably something that appeals to a guy like Josh Jackson. We we all know and have heard many times over how competitive he is. Uh, he may not have liked the idea of going to Boston and um, you know battling with for a handful of minutes with uh, Jalen Brown out there because um, they've already got Jay Crowder who. Um, he's a little better defensively, and and he's probably would probably have been a roadblock to Josh Jackson getting a lot of minutes there. And and Boston's in win now mode; they're really not in a uh, position to take a rookie in, who's not quite as NBA ready. Um, who many people think Jason Tatum, who they did take, is a little more ready to play right away, even if his ceiling isn't quite as high. So 
Um, Boston probably would have been a situation where you have to kind of wait in the wing for his chance. Uh, Phoenix is going to be a, a place he can play with other young guys, some exciting young players like uh, Devin Booker, and uh, and really get a lot of minutes right out of the gate. Have a chance to, even if they're not uh, maybe a playoff contender right away, a chance to maybe build something like that down there. Yeah, I do remember that there was a story that Jackson had gotten like a top five guarantee from one of the teams, and it sounds like Phoenix was the one. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, wondering, well, how far are you going to slip after you don't go to Boston if you don't, you know, go to that workout and push really hard to get them to pick you. Um, I think I, I think it's fair to say that if he did have that top five guarantee that he wasn't necessarily too concerned and could, you know, kind of do whatever he wanted to to make sure it got to Phoenix. The other thing I think about when I heard that he was taken by Phoenix is, you know, just with the way that the Morris twins started out there. So, I mean, there is a good, a good indication that an organization like that can help to develop players that maybe aren't necessarily a hundred percent NBA ready. Um, you know, the, the Morris twins, that's really when they kind of came on strong was when they got to Phoenix. And so I think it's a, a good, a good opportunity for him. You know, I do think it's a good organization and I'm sure, um, you know, I'm sure that, that Jackson's going to get a lot of good opportunities out there um, I, without him having to kind of be the guy. Um, you know, the other thing that I did note was that they were absolutely horrible defensively. And that was kind of the one thing that Jackson had going for him above some of these other guys was that his you know biggest strength is probably his defense and the energy he has while he's on defense. So I, I do think it's going to be a good fit for him. Um, I'm going to be really excited to kind of see him come on. And of course, all those, all the tweets I've been seeing recently about him, you know, going out to the Diamondbacks game and just absolutely brutal. That's that first pitch that he had. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he was taking it good naturally. And it, and it sounds like, you know, the, the uh, people down there are going to kind of in, in, embrace him. It's always good to kind of see a Jayhawk player uh, get picked up and be, you know, well-liked by the, the NBA team that he ends up going to. So ultimately I think it's going to be a really good situation for him. So any, any other thoughts on Jackson? Well, um, I, you know, I, I'm going to have fun watching because of course I'm, I'm going to be down there and probably okay. will watch, uh, if not in person, probably just on TV as, as many Suns games as I can now that Jackson's going to be there. I, I'm not necessarily expecting him to be a complete player, right out of the gate. I think some of the, you know, on draft night, watching the coverage, you know, uh, the guys on ESPN were, were talking about how he's just going to be a lockdown defender who can guard one through four. I, I think he's still got some work to do there, um, especially if you're talking about guarding NBA fours. Um, he's he, he's six eight, so he's kind of got the height, but um, he hasn't really filled out a whole lot. Yet. He's not small, but he's not a real big guy at this point. Um, so I, I think there's going to need to be some some progress, some work there defensively uh, before he can really maybe live up to some of the the billing that I think they're already talking about him as an elite defender. And I think you know he he, he has that ceiling, uh, but uh, just watching him last year, I, I didn't think he was you know outstanding defensively. And and you know you look at just Andrew Wiggins just a few years ago, he was outstanding defensively as a uh, college defender and it, it's taken him some time to uh, start to evolve into that at the NBA level. So, uh, okay. I mean, it'll be, it'll, it'll be a bit of a work in progress as far as, uh, as far as his, uh, I guess, evolution as a player goes. And, and of course there's the jump shooting. We don't really know, 
it, how that's going to turn out in the NBA. He did just fine as the season went on last year, but still has that uh, that strange shooting motion. We'll see uh, if if they want to work on that shooting motion with him and and how well it works with the uh, three point line being a few feet back. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think part of that talk on draft night is kind of just the normal optimism that they have, with, especially with the with the you know top five or top ten, or maybe even with the lottery pick. You know, the thought that well, this is what this guy could become, and you know, since we're expecting most of the top guys to be able to develop, you know, we're going to give what we think is the best. Also, if you kind of contrast it with what Phoenix already has, I mean, they, you know, they, they've been a horrible defensive team. So any guy that shows any kind of promise is going to be a good, a good move for them. Um, I'm not yeah. really, I'm not really thinking that he's going to come in and be immediately be a lockdown defender and you know look, you know, be pushing for NBA Defender of the Year or anything like that. I mean, he's going to come in. He's going to help improve the situation, and hopefully, after a few years, after he gets acclimated, he could be that lockdown defender that can guard pretty much anywhere. Um, but obviously, you know, anytime you go from the college level to the professional level, there is a learning curve. Um, you know, we, we've seen that with even the best players. So I, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to read too much into what they were saying on draft night. Draft night is definitely a night of being optimistic and, you know, being hopeful for the new guys that are coming into your organization. Uh, as for the whole shooting thing, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not, it's definitely not the, the prettiest of shooting motions, but you know, it really did seem to work for him, and he kind of got comfortable with it. I think, I think when he came in last season, you could tell, um, you know, all the hype was that he really wasn't that great of a shooter. And whether he had kind of bought into the hype or he really just hadn't settled in for the longest time, we we got to the last, you know, two, uh, half or two-thirds of the season, and he, he seemed to finally have it click where he, you know, was comfortable with the way he was doing it. If, if the Suns decide they want to mess with his shooting motion – to try to, you know, make it more traditional or make it look better. Um, obviously, that's probably going to have an effect on his shooting initially while he gets used to it again. But, you know, the NBA season is a long season. He's going to have a lot more opportunities, I think, to kind of get that to click in a game setting. Um, the other question with that, though, is because there's not nearly as much practice in NBA as there is in college, you know, how much of him working on his shooting was in, in practice and how much was him just getting comfortable in games? Um, you know, it may it may potentially take longer for him to get used to it just because there's not as much time to practice. Although, with no classes, he could probably work on it on his own a lot more. Um, so there's just a lot of variables there to see how long it's going to take for him to kind of settle in. I'm not worried about him being able to do it eventually, um, but you know, he may he may not, especially if he's have to take on a big load for the team. Um, you know, he may not actually get a chance to to kind of settle in as well as we'd like him to the first year. But it, it should be interesting to see him kind of develop there professional. All right. Well, do we want to go ahead and move on to the next one? Uh, sure. All right. So next up up next was uh, Frank Mason. He actually went a little earlier than I thought he would. Um, he went to, and I'm trying to remember which pick away. I wanted to say it was in the mid-30s. He went to the Sacramento Kings, um, who also selected a point guard with their first round pick. Um, I was a little surprised to see them go, you know, point guard twice. Um, I mean, obviously they, they need a lot of help at point guard and the, the two point guards that they have are going to be free agents. So it's going to be real difficult for them um, to have a lot of experience there. It, it kind of makes sense to see them grab a couple. I just wasn't expecting, honestly, Mason to be one of them. Um, talk a little bit about what do you think about the pick? Uh, are you at all concerned about him going out to Sacramento or is that the kind of situation that that is kind of needed for a guy who 
projects probably as a solid backup point guard in the in the league. Yeah, I'm not just thrilled with going to Sacramento just because we've seen uh, you know Ben McLemore and Ty- Thomas Robinson both sort of languished there, and, and they're just known as being one of the worst uh, franchises and really all of professional sports. But at the same time, you know, they made that uh, big trade last year to get rid of uh, Boogie Cousins, who, you know, as great a player as he is, uh, is well known for being, you know, a locker room problem and, and really difficult to coach. They've, they've burned through so many coaches there just in the last few years even. Um, it, it seems like maybe they're they're moving toward a more – stable type of team um it, you know as, as far as the point guard situation goes uh, i would expect them to either re-sign collison or probably more likely uh ty lawson they'd be able to get him for a lot less um or just look for somebody kind of in that ty lawson range of skill and of salary level uh, i can't imagine they're just going to turn the reins at the point guard position over to two rookies and just not have anyone else there on the ro- roster to uh, um, to to add a little more stability and a little more uh, guidance to that position. So I, I don't think Mason will necessarily be the backup, uh, at least not to start out the year. I, I'm pretty sure they'll they'll find uh, some you know some veteran to uh, step into that number two role until uh, Mason kind of. Hopefully he can get to where he can make that his own. Um, I, I don't think anyone's really expecting him to be a great two-way guard. I think he's going to be kind of a score-first point guard option. But you, you see that more and more in the NBA, where uh, you know that that traditional you know floor general role, who's really just there to set up the offense and rack up assists and not really look for his own shot as much. You just don't see that in the NBA as much anymore. So it's not it's not really the problem that it used to uh, be looked at as that, that he's going to be uh, more of a score first uh, guy who it, it's not that he doesn't pass. He'll get some assists too. Um, but his primary ability is going to be uh, putting points on the board. And, um, you know, the NBA has evolved where that that's not going to be an issue, but you know, with him standing uh, six feet tall in shoes um, and him having, uh, uh, you know, from, from what I was reading, there being, some concern about his ability to finish at the rim. There's no no doubt about his ability to get to the rim. Um, but you know, even at the college level, he wasn't uh, he didn't have elite numbers as far as uh, his field goal percentage at the rim. So um, I'm sure they're going to need to work with him on you know how they want him to approach the basket when when he's attacking it to uh, to not just either draw fouls or you know end up in a situation where you've got to try and make a circus layup and and really uh, maybe get a little more confidence in terms of how to how to get there in 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 a way that he can actually uh you know get a decent looking layup and not rely so much on on fouls or just kind of those crazy layups which we we've seen him make plenty of them um uh, but that that was kind of a big part of his game. I don't have any doubts about his three point shooting at this point, but uh you know uh, with him being really a uh primarily an offensive point guard and, and just a rookie and just a second round pick, I would be surprised if he's the number two guy right away. Uh, like you said, the, their main point guard, Lawson and, and Collison are both out of contract, but I I think they'll find someone to uh, to probably back up here. I, I would imagine Fox will start, but they'll 
still be a veteran in the mix there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty fair. The the situation I think I'm kind of reminded of is actually another Jayhawk where um, Mario Chalmers coming out of college, you know, kind of playing point guard. He wasn't really what you would consider to be a traditional point guard. Going to Miami, I'm not even sure if they drafted him to play point guard. He kind of just naturally fell into there. Um, you know, I, I kind of see in terms of how strong they came on at the end of their college career, um, but there's a lot of questions about how well they would be able to transition NBA-wise. Um, there's a lot of similarities between Mason and then uh, Chalmers. Um, and obviously we know kind of best-case scenario how well that turned out for Chalmers being with uh, being paired up with LeBron James and all the other stars there and, and getting himself a ring. Um, you know, I, I think not, not that I'm saying the Sacramento is going to come anywhere close to that, but the fact that Mason could potentially use this, I think this is the perfect kind of situation for him to be able to showcase what he's able to do. Um, you know, and there may end up being a need for him to kind of start taking on a larger role as the season goes on, depending on who they sign. Um, so kind of best case scenario, Mason could, could turn this into something. And, and I think this is the kind of team where he would be able to do that. If he had gone to a team, um, you know, that already kind of had two established point guards, um, you know, a, a good backup and then a, a solid starter. I think it would be hard for him to kind of see the floor. He'd probably be kind of stuck on, on a D-League team or um, potentially, you know, just kind of end of the bench and kind of just traveling with the team but not getting to play much. I think, um, you know, with, since there is so much uncertainty right now in Sacramento, he will probably get a chance, especially in the summer league, to, to kind of showcase and try to work his way into some sort of rotation. And even if he only gets a few, a few minutes, you know, averages a few minutes a game this first season, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunity to kind of continue to show that, that grit and that, you know, attitude that worked so well for him in college. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk. I, I saw someone saying something that I think it was actually the draft coverage on ESPN when he got selected. It said that, you know, obviously he's a small guard and it's going to be kind of hard for him to go ahead and, uh, and actually be successful in the NBA. But, he has the kind of skill set and the kind of attitude that it takes for a small guard to be successful in the NBA. So while I'm not necessarily expecting a lot with him being a second round pick, um, you know, I think this is actually the perfect opportunity for him to kind of make an impact and kind of showcase himself and hopefully turn that into something. Yeah, I think that that is a good point. You know, Sacramento knows they're not uh, competing for a playoff spot in the West right now. So they're, they're going to be nights where, you know, they give a couple of guys a night off and just look to experiment with some different rotations and see how guys, different guys play with each other. And that, that's going to give uh, Mason some extra opportunities that, like you pointed out, he, he, he wouldn't find, you know, if he had gone to. There was some, I think, some talk about him potentially going to the Spurs. I don't know if he'd worked out for them or if that was just a, a fan theory floating around. But, you know, if he goes to San Antonio, probably not going to get a lot of playing time because, you know, that's, that's a team that, you know, unless they're resting their main guys, they're, you know, they're in, in the playoff hunt and they're, you know, they're, they're looking to try and win a championship. They're not going to take a whole lot of the time to experiment with a rookie point guard, uh, whereas Sacramento can afford to, uh, you know, maybe throw Mason out there for 25 or 30 minutes some night if they think, uh, you know, that maybe he can handle it just to just see how he can do. So that'll give him, uh, Sacramento will give him a, more of an opportunity to showcase himself, um, uh, and and just hopefully they've got that, you know, kind of the the team culture situation a little more straightened out than they did back when it was really Demarcus Cousins kind of running the show there. Right. 
All right. Any other thoughts on Mason? Uh, no, I think uh, it pretty much covers it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and then um, jump to the, the Jayhawk that didn't get drafted. Um, but I actually had a kind of strong feeling going in that he was going to get some sort of invite. Landon Lucas, while he did not get drafted in the second round, did receive a, uh, a summer invite, a summer league invite to play with the Boston Celtics. Um, I know we had kind of talked a little bit about Jackson potentially going to um, the Celtics and kind of not wanting to be in that situation. But what are your thoughts on Lucas and how does he fit in that situation? What kind of chances do you think he has playing with them in the summer? Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can make the roster, especially in Boston, who again is uh, you know they're chasing Cleveland, they're in win now mode, they're not uh, really in developmental mode as much. But um, Lucas also said that he had a few different offers, and Boston was the one that he chose. So clearly, uh, he feels that there's uh, there's something there that uh, maybe gives him a better opportunity. Um, It'll be it'll be interesting to see what he does in the summer league. Now the summer league games can look a little bit like the NBA All Star game at times, just because teams aren't really looking to win as much as they are to um, to, to just really see what they've got. And so you don't have as many uh, you know real sets and schemes because there's not a whole lot of practice time to really develop a team because that that's not as much the point of the whole league. So um, the guys who are really freak athletes or just great natural scorers tend to stand out. Uh, a guy like Landon Lucas, who's really more of a workhorse down low, whose strengths are post defense and rebounding, um, probably not going to put up any eye popping numbers in the summer league, and, and so it'll really be more uh, what the what the front office can can pick up and what the uh what the coaches can pick up based on the uh the, on what they see on video and, and the things that they see him doing down low because he's not going to score a lot and uh there's just not a whole lot of refined post offense in, in the summer league so uh you know that that post uh that strength that he has in the post that ability he has to defend in the post just isn't going to stand out quite as much so uh, you know hopefully he can if not with the Celtics, with with somebody, I, I think he's probably looking at more a D league situation, and then just trying to to play his way up, and hopefully he'll be able to do that. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think the one thing I will say, it, it, it kind of like with Mason, where it's the perfect situation for him because Boston is not looking for a guy that's going to have a breakout summer league. Um, you know, they're not looking for a guy that they can, um, you know, be that that will be a surprise and can kind of all of a sudden play a lot better. They need a good solid uh, couple of players to kind of round out their rotation on the end of the bench. And so if, if Lucas going to have any chance in the NBA for this year, it would be with a team like that that needs a strong, solid backup that can come in and can play defense and can work down low and can, you know, kind of keep things going when the stars have to take a rest. Not saying that I think he's actually going to make a roster this year for in, in the NBA. I do think that the D league is probably his best bet, but you know, the the Celtics probably are not going to have a lot of players on their summer um, their summer squad there that are going to have huge breakout performances during the summer league. So when people are looking at the Celtics tape, his abilities and his strengths are going to be able to come through because you're not going to have these dazzling performances of guys that are putting up huge numbers. And, you know, 
awesome shooting performances because that's not what the Celtics need. I mean, they've got a pretty solid team anyway. What they're looking for out of the summer is going to be a lot different than a team like Sacramento who's looking for a guy that can be a breakout star. So, again, I think it's a kind of a situation of where he found the best, the best situation for him to kind of showcase what it is he can do and then try to turn that into a contract somewhere, which is most likely going to be somewhere in the D League for this year. And then hopefully that can turn into either, you know, kind of like what happened with Wayne Selden, where all of a sudden, you know, the end of the year he comes on and actually gets to latch on to a team that is doing pretty well, or it'll turn into something for next year, where maybe he can, he can get out of the D League and, and actually find a contract as a uh, backup somewhere. So. Yeah, I, th- I think we're probably pretty much in agreement there. I, I would really be shocked if he, um, if he gets called up to an NBA roster, whether it's Boston or really anywhere, just because, you know, his his skill set is one that's – I mean, the, those traditional big guys are kind of on, on their way out in the NBA a little bit, um, and, and Lucas is more that uh, you know, that traditional center, uh, you know, who offers defense and rebounding and not much in the way of offense. And the NBA is kind of trending away from that a little bit. So that, that's not to say he can't add some value uh, depending on the, the team he lands with especially if he finds a coach who really values rebounding. I think that that's his primary asset. Um, but, you know, we, we've seen how good Thomas Robinson is as a rebounder, even in the NBA, and he has still struggled to uh, to find a team and find a lot of minutes. So, I, you know, I, I, I hope uh, – I wish for nothing but the best for Landon Lucas, but I, I just uh, – I, I don't have the highest hopes for uh, – for him making an NBA roster, at least not this year, but he may be a guy who ends up, I think, with a better chance overseas than he does uh, here in the NBA. Right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Um, The next topic that we have actually sticking with our NBA theme here um, actually came out of a question that was submitted on the website um, by 2.1 seconds left. Uh, He asked, are we about to see a golden age for Jayhawks in the NBA? Um, obviously, you know, mentioning things like um, Wiggins and Embiid and a bunch of these rising stars. Um, but I would kind of add to that, not just that, but we're starting to see a lot more role players throughout the NBA. Um, you know, so there's a lot more former Jayhawks that are making some sort of living in the NBA, uh, which we couldn't really have said probably about 10 years ago. Um, he, he kind of follows it up with, and does that tie directly to any changes in recruiting philosophy by Bill, or are we just getting lucky with some of the guys that have come out or that have turned into stars after they got here? Um, I'll go ahead and, and throw that to you first, David. What are your thoughts about the, the, the quote-unquote golden age for Jayhawks that are in the NBA? I think we are getting to that point, and I think it is directly tied to Bill Self. Uh, you know, he when he started getting more one and dones, I know he was asked about it and said, "No, well, no, we've been recruiting these guys all along. It's just we we just recently started getting them." I I don't necessarily think that's a hundred percent true. I think there was kind of a change in recruiting philosophy to where he started uh, chasing a few more of them when it became apparent how much success you can have with uh, some one and dones on your roster. Clearly, he's not sold out on them like uh, John Calipari has. He's uh kind of sprinkled them in here and there, but I think that is why we're starting to see more. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid probably going to be the, uh, you know, assuming Embiid can stay healthy, the best Jayhawks in the NBA for probably some years to come here. And it, I don't think it's any coincidence that they're 
both one and dones. Um, but uh, you know, Embiid with his with his Twitter presence and just how well liked he is across the league, and then Wiggins uh, being on Sports Center, I think a couple nights a week at least with the kind of dunks that he throws down in the NBA, and he's uh, you know he's scoring 20 plus points a game. I think Minnesota is going to have a little more uh, a little more attention on them this year with the addition of Jimmy Butler. They're going to be contending for the playoffs, so he may he may get a look at the All Star game if he continues to develop and and play more the way he was uh, last year. So I, I think even if they can have a couple of All Stars, maybe in Wiggins and Embiid, I mean that would that right alone would be a huge improvement in terms of star power at the next level um, from former Jayhawks over you know, what we've seen for most of the Bill Self era. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of telling when you talk about, you know, um, it was when they were talking about Paul Pierce getting ready to retire, um, about he was kind of the last major Jayhawk player that was a significant star in the NBA. Um, and then you go from there basically to Wiggins being the next, you know, like major consensus star. Um, and, of course, he was obviously a rookie at the time that they were talking about that. Um, you know, there's been just a big dearth of, of KU stars in the NBA. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the best players for the longest time weren't even going to college. Um, and then we were having problems developing, I think, guys that kind of fit into the style of how, of how the NBA was trending. Um, once the one and done, done started coming, though, these are guys that probably would have been successful in the NBA if they had been allowed to go to the NBA right out of high school. Um, and so then, so then in, instead, now they have to go to college, and now they're getting associated with a particular college. And, you know, in our case, we were lucky with guys like, um, you know, Wiggins deciding to come. Um, you know, even, even guys like, um, well, Embiid, I think, was kind of more of a, a very fortunate situation. Because if you remember, when he came to Kansas, he had not been playing basketball for very long at all. There was a lot of question about what was he going to develop into. Um, and the fact that he developed immediately in just a couple months from a, you know, probably going to be a reserve guy that will get some solid minutes and show promise for next year to the undoubted, you know, star center of the team and, uh, you know, a, a top three NBA pick. That was a huge transformation for him. And it was just the fact that he was, he was that talented, but that raw um, that he was able to turn that into something immediately. And obviously he's going to have to stay healthy for him to be, anything more than, you know, a Greg Oden type story of a guy that was drafted really high, but unfortunately injuries prevented him from really doing anything. Um, so there's still a few years left on that before we can figure out if he's actually going to be a star in the NBA. Um, but getting those types of players to actually come to college, I think is a big thing about how we have been thinking about, you know, stars and, and coming out of college. A lot of that is just fortunate because of the one and done rule. Um, and now that, big, that Bill Self has kind of made inroads in getting those one-and-done players, we're going to see a lot more guys that get associated with Kansas um, in the NBA as stars because those one-and-dones are, are kind of uniquely qualified to turn into stars a lot quicker than I think some of the three- or four-year guys you see at college. Um, so, again, I mean, I don't know if there's anything different with the recruiting philosophy. Maybe he didn't try quite as far with the one-and-dones or he just had a good crop of um, upperclassmen coming that he didn't necessarily think to them. But once we started getting those, I think that's when we started moving towards having more guys in the NBA. Personally, though, I think the bigger development is all the role players that we've had in the NBA. Because even, 
you know, during that time frame from from Pierce, there was a there was a couple guys here and there, but there wasn't weren't any guys that were making, you know, four or five year careers even as solid backups or anything like that. Um, Bill Self came, and you know, we've seen plenty of guys that are like that. Obviously, uh, Heinrich and Collison aren't really his. Uh, in products of, of his recruiting and his work, um, you know, I would say those are probably the biggest stars that we had had after Pierce, but before this recent crop. But I mean, we're seeing guys like, um, you know, obviously Wayne Selden coming on is a big, is a big, uh, a big surprise this year. But, you know, I'm thinking like Aldrich has been in the NBA for, for years. Robinson's been in the NBA for years. And even though he hasn't made a solid, uh, you know, a big breakout to be a star. He has been a solid contributor in a bunch of different places. Uh, we're seeing a bunch of guys like that now coming out of the program where pretty much any night, you know, the, the, the Morris twins now are on a couple different teams. I believe it's ones up in Detroit and ones in Washington. I, I may be wrong. Yeah. That. yeah. I mean, you know, and them on the Suns, and that's kind of where they made their name, even though they're not like superstars at this point, they're a, they're a, a group of guys that are well-known that obviously have very strong Kansas ties that we hadn't been seeing before self got here and before self was, was uh, developing these guys. So I think there's a lot to be said about what he's done to kind of make Kansas a presence in the NBA, even if we don't have tons of superstars at this point. Yeah. I, I think there's always been uh, some of that, at least in, in, in recent history, you know, uh, Rafe LaFrance held on in the NBA for a while, even though he wasn't a star, Scott Pollard had, I think a ten or so year career. Um, Jock Vaughn even hung around for a little while and and then uh, went into coaching. But uh, you know there there have been guys uh, who went to KU on NBA rosters. I think for some time and that's kind of what we continue to see early on in the Bill Self era with uh, you know Darnell Jackson got drafted and hung on for a couple of years. Julian Wright was a uh, I think he just missed the lottery. He was a mid-first-round pick, but then, uh, you know, never really developed down in New Orleans and uh, sort of flamed out. So, you know, there there have been guys with KU attached to their name in the league, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you are starting to see some more who uh, some more names who who people who are maybe only casual NBA fans recognize, like the Morris Twins. Um, and definitely now Wiggins and Embiid and hopefully Josh Jackson will get there too, um, and maybe some of the guys off of this year's roster. So um, you never know how a guy's going to pan out in the NBA. You never know who's going to live up to their potential, who won't. But I think we are at least headed in the right direction in terms of getting more recognizable Jayhawks out there and, and finding success at the next level. Yeah, I think the other thing too is, uh, you know, there there may have been Jayhawks kind of scattered around the NBA a little bit here and there. I, I do think now that we've kind of started to see these guys coming in in the top of the draft and the superstars potentially, uh, it, it causes people to pay a little bit more attention. If you don't have a, a superstar from your school, uh, it's really hard for the casual fan to think about Kansas as a school that will send, you know, good players to the NBA, even if there are a lot of solid role players scattered throughout the league. Um, but, you know, you get a guy like Wiggins, who has been the face of the Timberwolves, I think, for this last year um, or a couple of years. You know, he, he's been kind of the big highlight that puts, you know, the idea there that Kansas turned out superstars. And then you have Embiid, who went, you know, in the same draft. So, so two of the top three, that was kind of the breakout party where people thought, 
oh, hey, look, Kansas is sending a lot of top talent. Oh, and by the way, there's a bunch of this lesser talent um, or, you know, kind of filling out the talent in the NBA in a bunch of different places. So it's kind of highlighted and given awareness of the fact that Kansas has been sending players for years to the NBA um, that are able to kind of hold on at least for a few years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been kind of surprised to see how many of them um, have actually, you know, been big stories for this year. Obviously, you know, Wiggins and the, and the, the Timberwolves not making the playoffs and Embiid and the 76ers not making the playoffs. Those, those were kind of big stories. Um, I think those teams were kind of expected to, to kind of improve a little bit this year, then they didn't quite get it for various reasons. You know, Embiid with all the stories about the all-star team and how he, you know, got left off of uh, the roster when there was so much support for him. Um, you know, and then, I mean, just, you know, in, even in the playoffs, we had, you know, Wayne Selden uh, with, with Memphis starting for them after having been in the D-League this year. And then uh, Markeith Morris, and I'm trying to remember who I feel really bad now because I forgot who the other Jayhawk on the Wizards was. Um, Kelly Oubre. Oubre, that's right. I kept thinking Selby for some reason, but I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, Oubre making a name for himself down there. I mean, you know, the, the fans absolutely love him down there now because of what he had done in the playoffs, even if it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, very welcomed by the uh, the, the league office. But, you know, <laughs> they're just starting to make impacts in a lot of different places, and a lot of people are starting to realize that there are a lot of good players coming out of Kansas now. Um, you know, Williams, Roy, Roy Williams had a few um, that I can kind of remember, and obviously Heinrich and Collison are the two big ones, uh, I think, that I remember from, from a lot of his time. And, and part of that may just be, you know, kind of the era that I grew up in and, and what I remember from when I was a kid um, and how much I've watched NBA. But it definitely seems like they're, they're a lot more present, and especially this last couple of years, they're, you know, they're a lot more in the conscience of the NBA fan as opposed to in years prior. Yeah, I, I, I hope that's true. And, and I think being in the playoffs, having guys in the playoffs is, is probably a big part of that. Um, you know, it, you, you take Mario Chalmers and give him the same stats, the same skill level, the same everything else, and stick him on, you know, the nets or something like that. Um, do, do as many people know who Mario Chalmers is? Probably not because – you know, his main claim to fame was being point guard on uh, on those Miami Heat teams with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, as you mentioned, you know, the Sixers and, and Kimberwolves didn't show uh, much progress last year and uh, didn't, didn't sniff the playoffs. And I think that's sort of the next step in terms of really for any player going from star to superstar is uh, is is making that jump from maybe being – you know, the, the face of their franchise and the best player on their team um, to being a really good player on a really good team. You know, we're in this era of, you know, if you want to, if a team wants to succeed in the NBA, they have to get sort of this collection of star players. And I think, um, you know, if guys like Wiggins and Embiid and, you know, hopefully maybe Josh Jackson can get to a point where they're the kind of guys who are, you know, maybe banding together with a couple other really good players as, as free agents, um, to to make one of those teams that, that has a legitimate shot at winning a title, I think that'll sort of be the next uh, evolution of Jayhawks in the NBA. Just because I, I think the NBA maybe maybe even more so than any other sport is one you know where the season is so long. There are so many boring regular season games that 
the bulk of the viewership seems to really be in the playoffs. Uh, you know, living in Kansas City that doesn't have an NBA franchise, there's really no NBA talk during the season. It really only heats up during the playoffs. So if you want to become a household name, you, you pretty much have to find yourself um, someone who's getting a lot of playing time on TV on one of those uh, teams that, that that's really being featured in the postseason. Yeah, I, and I don't think that phenomenon is limited to um, you know places that don't have NBA teams. I mean, you know, I'm down here in the in a part of Florida that doesn't have its own NBA team, but there's a couple teams within just a couple hours, and there still is no basketball talk, no NBA talk for the most part until we get to the playoffs, and then it's a big thing. You know, talking about the Orlando Magic, which Part of that might just be because it's the Orlando Magic, but, you know, there's not even talk about the Miami Heat down here in Florida for the most part until we actually get to the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's just because Kansas City doesn't have it. I think, I think it's because, you know, it's not really part of the consciousness, I think, just because, again, because there's so many uh, games in the regular season and, and they all kind of blend together and you don't have a lot of must-see matchups. And a lot of times, even when you do, you know, you have teams that are, that are resting players, um, and so there's not as many, you know, must-see events, um, something like football where, you know, anytime you have two really good teams playing, there's so few games that all the best players are playing. It would be, it would be nearly, uh, well, it, it would be unheard of to see, you know, a star sit out of a really big football game unless they're injured. Um, but you see that happen all the time in a sport like basketball. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, think it's, I think that that's part of it. It's just the way that the, the sport is set up it's a lot easier to kind of ignore the regular season until the end when playoff bursts are on the line. And, you know, there's a lot of jogging there for, for position for seating. The one thing that kind of struck me there, and it's my favorite LeBron stat, um, you were talking about how, you know, Mario Chalmers claim to fame right now is kind of being um, on those, those Miami heat teams. I think, I think the other big part where he gets mentioned is the fact that, you know, even coming off an injury that um, when LeBron James needed a point guard in Cleveland, they were talking about bringing him in, and you know, James was was really kind of pushing for Chalmers to be brought in there. Ultimately, it didn't work out, but you know, I, I thought that was kind of a big thing. You know, he made that much of an impression. But my my favorite LeBron stat is the fact that LeBron is not still has not won a title without having a Jayhawk on the roster. Um, yeah. So I think I think actually, if you think if you talk about Kansas in the NBA, I think that's probably about the third or fourth thing that comes up after talking about Embiid and Wiggins. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's definitely still kind of a big thing that, you know, I, I guess, I guess the Jayhawks are uh, James's secret weapon. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely do see the reputation for the school around the league coming up in the next few years as some of these guys develop. Um, I have to think that Embiid is going to, you know, even if he doesn't ever actually make it on the court over a long period of time, just his personality and the way he's an ambassador for the game and for that 76er team, um, and then for the Jayhawks as well, kind of as an extension of that, it's going to definitely help. Um, you know, and then Wiggins continue to perform up in Minnesota is going to help a lot, especially as you were talking about earlier with the uh, Jimmy Butler trade. I think that's going to give them an opportunity to kind of showcase Wiggins on more of a national scale um, because – you know, it looks like they potentially are putting together a team that could push for the playoffs this year. So, all right. Any other thoughts about the uh, golden age of uh, Jayhawks? No, just that, uh, hope hope these guys, especially in this year's draft, can live up to their 
you know, their, their ceilings and maybe, maybe join that class with Wiggins and Embiid, but it's not just really two guys that we're focusing on that, that conversation. And, and, and I think Jackson is probably the best bet for that. I think, I think, yeah. you know, ideally perfect scenario would be that Mason, while he doesn't take over any response, you know, big duties, he has a few highlights for the games where he actually gets to play, um, you know, and then of, of course, Jackson kind of becoming a, a big force down there in Phoenix. Um, and, and building up that defensive game, I think people would talk, start talking about him pretty quickly if he's able to, to kind of show things early. Um, the other thing I think that kind of would really help would be if Wayne Selden can turn his, um, you know, backup spot with the with uh, Memphis, but then starting in the playoffs into a solid rotation guy for for Memphis. So I think there's a lot of things that could happen to kind of help lift the overall prospects this year and. I think at least a couple of them will. It depends on, on, on how many we get and how many people actually pay attention to it. So, yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and move on. We uh, have our, our final port of the part of the podcast today would be jumping into what is now, I think, our uh, highly interesting and highly entertaining hot take hyperbole canon. Um, I, I told you earlier that this is an NBA uh, themed episode, and while this isn't strictly about the NBA, there is definitely an NBA tie to it. So, again, this one comes from uh, Grad. Uh, he he has a few of them here. Actually, I think next week we might get one from one of our other contributors, but for now we're going to stick with Grad. He, he, this one has to do with the coaching situation. He says, if Kansas could ever realistically get Brad Stevens, let's say he secretly contacts KU and says he wants out of the NBA and would come to KU, then the Jayhawks should fire self and hire Stevens. His, his argument there is that, that Stevens would do better. We would have at least make more final fours and would have won more national titles. So I will let you give your thoughts first on that. If, if that ever came as a possibility, do you think KU should have, should fire self and hire Brad Stevens? I, I sort of look at this in the, the same light as I did the last one of these that we did about, uh, Kansas football should just start blatantly cheating um, in that in realistically um, it, no <laughs> I mean we couldn't we couldn't do that to Bill Self I mean not not after all he's done for the program um, you know staying here after being offered a contract at, at his own alma mater um, it, you know bringing us so far we're at 13 straight titles a championship, another appearance in the national title game, um, you know, to fire him because we think there's somebody marginally better out there, uh, you know, it obviously would be, even if it brought a lot of success to the university or even, I guess, we're already having a lot of success, even more success, um, you know, that that would be a horrible PR move for KU. They, they look awful for firing Bill Self at that point. Um, but if we're just talking about it in a vacuum, um, where where none of that matters, then then yeah, I, I I would be on board with it because you saw what he did at Butler, where I mean he was at Butler, and he was still able to get uh, you know a, a couple of at least marginal NBA guys, and then also Gordon Hayward, who's proven to be a a, a pretty good player at the next level, and even with that amount of talent, really only one true star on the team was able to make back to back national championship games coming out of, I don't remember if they were still in the Horizon League at that point or if they, Yeah, I'm pretty I know sure. they weren't, yeah. yeah, I know they weren't in the Big East yet, and they were, I'm, I'm blanking on which 
conference they were in kind of in between. But, you know, at any rate, coming from uh, a mid-major position to make the the, the title game and and really were one half-court shot being a couple inches off target from maybe even knocking off Duke and winning a title there. And then we've seen what he's done with the Boston Celtics, who he took over as really an abysmal team. And and not that it's just all him. Obviously, they've done a good job of building that roster, but uh, now we've seen him take a group of players at the NBA and uh, win a regular season Eastern Conference title. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would probably, I would probably go ahead and, and take him over Bill Self again if we're just talking about doing this in a vacuum where there aren't any repercussions for firing somebody as uh, successful and as loyal as Bill Self has been. Yeah, I think I have to wholeheartedly disagree. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of talk about how, well, Stevens probably would have, or would have performed better. We would have gotten to more Final Fours. And I just, I just don't see it happening. I think part of that is because, um, sure, Brad Stevens was able to recruit guys to Butler. Um, but he was not recruiting at the same kind of level that you have to at a Kansas or, you know, or at a Duke. Um, and, and honestly, I think that was he, – he actually had said himself that that was the main thing that he did not like about coaching in college was that, you know, doing the recruiting. Um, and so while he was able to bring guys some, – some guys to Butler to be able to dominate that league, the other thing we have to remember, though, is that that was the, the time where you would have a lot of, you know, the higher-level teams like Kansas or like Duke or, or those that would have – a lot of second and maybe maybe third-year players, if they were lucky, but there was a lot of guys that were – or most of their rotation was freshmen, sophomores, and there was a big disparity between them and the, and the best mid-major teams that had tons of juniors and seniors. Um, in fact, that's how a lot of the mid-major teams kind of made their name is that they would get guys – you know, they have a, a, a bad freshman – or a bad year where they had a big class of freshmen and sophomores. And then the next few years when they had juniors and seniors, they developed all these guys. They played together for so long. You know, they, they knew each other in and out. They became a really solid team. And then they surprised a lot of these higher-level schools that had tons of freshmen or tons of sophomores that were kind of rotating in and out. Um, you know, we've, we've seen how the disparity between a senior or a less overall talented or athletic senior team with lots of seniors can – take advantage of, you know, a, a much more talented but much less experienced team, in the, especially in that one-and-done situation where, you know, you lose and you're done. It's a, you know, it's, it's a single elimination tournament. So I, I think to kind of say that Stevens would definitely have gotten to more Final Fours or more titles when recruiting is kind of the one weak point that he's had. And at a place like Kansas, you know, if, if he were to try to build a team that way by – getting a bunch of maybe not quite as, as high-profile guys and try to get them to stay there their junior and senior years, I don't know that that would be successful at Kansas. I don't know that he would be able to have the long-term um, success that he, had, that he has had at other places in college. Um, you know, he kind of got the perfect scenario where he went from being a very highly successful mid-major team or mid, mid-major coach directly to a spot in the NBA where he was going to have the support and he was going to get the respect that he needed to build a successful NBA team. Um, and so I'm not going to downplay what he's done. I think it's been absolutely phenomenal the way that he's coached. Um, and definitely the kind of the S's and O's of coaching is, a, is one of his biggest strengths. Um, but I just don't think recruiting-wise he would have been able to keep up 
at Kansas the way that he needed to to set himself up to have a team that he could coach to that level. Um, so while I'm, I'm, you know, I love Brad Stevens as a, as a coach. I think if he was our next coach, say that, you know, self retires and then we were able to lure Brad Stevens back, I'd be all for that. I'd have concerns about his recruiting abilities. And honestly, I don't think he'd want to leave the NBA um, just because of what he said previously about recruiting. But I, I would not trade what Bill Self has done for what we think Brad Stevens might have been able to do. Um, because honestly, I, I don't, I don't know that Stevens would come out favorable in that comparison. Well, the the original take is that if it became an option today that that we would fire Bill Self and take on Brad Stevens and not necessarily go back in time and have Brad Stevens over Bill Self. Is, is that right? Well, yeah, and, and I can definitely see that. I mean, I think but, – but even then, I mean, I don't know going forward. A lot of what has given Bill Self his success is his ability to recruit and kind of the way that our recruiting philosophy is, has helped – the in-game uh, coaching. And, I mean, Stevens having a very strong affinity for not wanting to do the recruiting stuff, I just, I mean, I just don't know that he would be able to keep that up. We would have to have a phenomenal recruiting staff outside of what Stevens does um, for him to even get the pieces that he needs to compete with the other high major teams. And I'm not sure that's true just because, you know, yes, he did say that uh, he didn't really care for recruiting, but at the same time, you know, at, at Butler, he was able to get Gordon Hayward, who's become, you know, he's going to be a free agent, I believe, this year and or 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 maybe next year. I, I know he, that a lot of teams are looking to, to trade for him. I, I guess he's, he's still under contract with the Jazz. But uh, so you're talking about getting a sought-after NBA player um, to a mid-major school like Butler. And, uh, you know, they had a, a center and a point guard, and I, I don't remember their names at this point, but uh, – you know, they were at least very good college players. I think maybe fringe NBA players or maybe uh, got a look with an NBA team or two. Um, and he was able to do that at Butler. And now you're talking about a guy who, you know, if he took over for KU tomorrow, you know, he'd be able to go up to recruits. Not only as the guy who took Butler to back-to-back championship games, but also as the guy who, uh, you know, had the, you know, the best record in the Eastern Conference last year, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron in Cleveland and was able to do it where the best player on the team was a five foot eight point guard. Uh, I mean, he's, I, I think that reputation alone earns him a lot of recruiting points on the, uh, on the recruiting trail, just in terms of being, um, being an attractive prospect for a high school kid who's looking to find success not only at the college level, but also at the NBA level, because now he brings that, uh, you know, those connections that he's made in the NBA to the table as well. So that that's going to be appealing to high school kids who are, you know, really looking at maybe being one and done and, and making that initial or that immediate jump to the NBA. So I think he's got, even if recruiting isn't his favorite thing, I think he's he's got a lot going for him in terms of going out on the recruiting trail and still being able to, to be successful there. Yeah, and I guess I'm not saying he wouldn't have any success. I just think that combination-wise, I don't, I don't think it's even necessarily close to certain that he would be a better overall coach for Kansas than Bill Self. Um, you know, I think, I think maybe X's and O's he could potentially, he, he put, or he would probably be potentially better X's and O's um, in a in kind of in a vacuum like you were talking about than Bill Self. 
Um, but when you add in the recruiting aspect to that, I'm not sure he would do that as well. So he may not have as talented of teams to set up to be coaching as well. Uh, I just I just don't think that there's enough there to say, oh yeah, Brad Stevens is definitely a much better coach for the Kansas program going forward than self. Um, you know, if we can get rid of all of the the bad PR aspects of it. So. Yeah, and I don't know that. I mean, obviously nobody can say he definitely would be. Um, but I, I, you know, the, the, the not, I don't think it's likely at this point to, to say that there would be any kind of improvement. The, the, the knock on self, uh, if you, if you're looking for one at this point is, uh, you know, not enough success in the postseason, And, uh, you know, obviously it's a small sample size, but, um, coaching Butler, Stevens was able to get to the national championship game in two straight years. And I, I think looking at that, you know, maybe maybe even if the I still think he'd be able to recruit just fine to Kansas. You know, even if the recruiting is maybe a half step lower, I, I think, yeah, like you said, there's there's probably an X's and O's improvement. I think Bill Self is a good X's and O's coach, but I think Brad Stevens is kind of an X's and O's genius, and I think there might be something to that, especially when you get into the tournament, you know, that quick turnaround time, especially going from your, your Thursday, Friday game to your Saturday, Sunday game, uh, you know, there might be something to that and his ability to uh, get teams further in the tournament. So uh, I, I still think there is, there's a good argument to be made that, you know, if, if they were to switch coaches today and go to Brad Stevens, uh, you might even see a slightly more successful Kansas program. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can make an argument. I just don't know that it would convince me. So, all right, any other thoughts on that before we uh, wrap up? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think we're probably going to get anywhere further with it. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, um, that actually is it for today. Uh, just a programming note: next week we will be recording. Um, depending on how many people we can get to, to kind of jump in um, and how much we can come up to talk about, probably what would be a, a, a two-part episode. Um, we are going to go ahead and actually take a break with the podcast in the month of July. There's a bunch of personal stuff coming up with with uh, those that are jumping in. And also, it's kind of the perfect time to take a break and kind of let some news build up and then get ready for football. We'll, we'll come back in August. Um, definitely big previews on football and then jumping straight into games at the end of the month. Um, but next week, we will be recording what will end up being the season finale of the Rock Talk Podcast. Um, we might be able to turn it into a couple episodes. It might just be the one. Either way, it's been great, uh, you know, getting this going up and uh, and talking about all the stuff we've been able to. Um, and we will uh, we will see you guys next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.